I want to talk to you this morning about pressure points, also known as insecurities. Um, I feel like the word pressure points is a bit easier to swallow, whereas insecurities to me sounds like something you've always got, something like climbing a mountain that never has a peak or whatever. So I'm going to call them pressure points because I feel like when we have tension in our bodies, physical bodies, we go to the chiropractor or we go to the physio, or we have a massage and that releases the tension in our bodies. It releases the pressure that builds over time or the lies that we take in or the hard work. And once a pressure point in our physical body is released, say you go to the physio four times or five times, um, I feel like it's, it enables you to do something that you couldn't do before. So spiritually, I feel like you know, God wants to work in us this morning. Um, to release those tensions, to release those pressure points. And it's not always a one-hit wonder. It's not always go to the physio and you're fixed just like that or go to the doctor and here's a magic pill. It's time and that's the biggest thing is giving ourselves time to get through these pressure points. So I'm going to talk from Genesis this morning, going right back to the beginning. Once upon a time, Adam and Eve were happily walking through the Garden of Eden they were naked, happy, unashamed, and had this closeness with God like no other. Adam walked daily with God. He spoke, he prayed, he walked daily with God with this intimacy that no one had before. I mean, he was the first man, so that, but <laughs> he didn't. So um, then one day, an evil snake told Eve, to eat of this fruit of the tree that broke the one command that God gave them. We know the story. They sinned. And we're going to pick up the, the point in Genesis 3, 7 to, uh, 3, 7 to 13, um, where they've just realised it. Immediately, the two of them did see what's really going on. They saw themselves naked. They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees of the garden. They hid from God. God called to the man, where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat from? Oh, I've got it there twice. The man said... The woman you gave me as a companion, she gave me fruit from the tree, and yes, I ate it. God said to the woman, "Who? what is this you have done? The serpent seduced me, she said, and I ate. Who told you you were naked? Adam hadn't hidden from God like this day before. He walked with God blameless, perfect. They had this closeness, they had intimacy. I mean, who doesn't want that? <laughs> God asked him in verse 9, where are you? Adam's reply is, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. We all know Adam and Eve sinned. Eve was deceived by the serpent. Say she sinned with her eyes closed, if you like. She was deceived. She didn't know what, know what to believe. Adam, he ate of the fruit, choosing to sin. He chose rebellion over intimacy with God. We all know... Sorry, choosing rebellion over intimacy with God. See, the sin disrupts the relationship between the creator and the creation. 
In Romans 5, 12 to 13, it says, That sin disturbed relationships with God in everything and everyone. That day it put a wedge between man and God. All of a sudden, sin was standing in the middle. So how do we regain this closeness? That every day walking with God, the intimacy that Adam had with God, there was a closeness and a bond that God had designed for man to have with Jesus before sinning. The Christian walk is this every day. It's about connecting us back to the intimacy with God to become Christ-like. This starts with salvation when we receive Jesus into our hearts. That is the choice we make to work hard every day to say, Jesus, I'm going to choose you over my sin and to walk close with you again. Every day is such a battle, isn't it? Our minds tell us one thing. We go, that would be good, or we struggle to read our Bible every day. We might not pray every day. These sort of things, our flesh tells us that it's easier with other things, or we simply forget because we get too busy. It is easier said than done, and when Adam and Eve first sinned, there were certain things that entered these pressure points as part of sinning. But that day when they ate the fruit that entered in, and they're still a part of our journey today, unfortunately, they hinder us. They put that wedge in and, you know, we don't wake up and go, let's go for a walk, God, like, I'm so close with you. It's hard work. It takes prayer. It takes commitment. It takes serving. When you're tired, no one feels like serving, but that's the commitment that it takes. When you became a Christian, you said, God, I will do whatever it takes to be close with you. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is our journey. That is our every day. He didn't desire for this separation. So he longs for it just as much as we do. I want to highlight these pressure points today and hope that we can recognise where they are in our everyday, recognise what they are and why they stop us. As I said, they're these tender spots and with God, we can progress through them. So going back to Genesis 3, 7 to 13, we're just going to break it apart a bit. The first one we see is shame and guilt. It's in verse 7, it says, Immediately the two of them did see what's really going on. They saw themselves naked. They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. When they heard the sound of God strolling in the garden in the evening breeze, the man and his wife hid in the trees. They hid from God. They tried to cover up and hide. Shame says it's you that's the problem. You do bad things because you are a bad person. Shame entered that day and that is why they hid. They were ashamed. Because it tells us they walked happily with God unashamed. They ate of the fruit and then they were ashamed. Point one this morning, oh it is up there, is that shame chooses to keep something in the darkness where the enemy wants it rather than bringing it into the light where God's grace can clean up the mess. The next point we see is in chapter 9, that God called to the man, Where are you? He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. He says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Fear entered Adam and Eve that day. And it's been the biggest reason we stay comfortable and safe rather than facing what the real issues are and becoming all that God's called us to be. 
How many times do we say, <laughs> oh, I wish I'd done that? Or, that looks good, why couldn't I do that? We've always, we've all got something that we say, why didn't I? And I believe fear is the big reason that stops us. It holds us back. Um, when I was reading through this, um, I found this really cool thing that um, fear can stand for two different things and I believe whichever one we choose to side with will determine the outcome of our growth. Um, we either stay where we are or we move forward. So number one is that we forget everything and rise or we face everything and rise. Sorry, I said that wrong. Forget everything and run or face everything and rise. You can embrace that fear and say, God, I'm not going to let it hold me back. The next thing we see is blame. In verse 11, it says, God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you gave me as a companion, she gave me the fruit from the tree. And yes, I ate it. Bad woman. God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The serpent seduced me, she said, and I ate it. So you see, Adam blamed the woman and the woman blamed the serpent. When you blame others, you give up the power to grow. We choose division over unity. We choose to shift the mess instead of cleaning it up ourselves. God doesn't want us to struggle to be close to him. He is always talking. He's always right with us. He's always been right here and man's always been right here. But what's in between determines how close we can get to him. And it's up to us every day to deal with these things. We never move forward if we don't bring the fear, the shame and the blame out of the darkness and into God's light. He said, I am the way, the truth and the light. Which means where there's shame and blame, the only other way is him. I read this quote recently, that everyone has a chapter they don't read out loud. The picture I saw when I read this was that we have ourselves standing here and we're walking along with a shadow and we are that shadow but our real self is right here and we're constantly following what God called us to be around but never truly embracing or stepping into it. It's right there and we want it but it's just this out of, out of touch. We will never find freedom unless we stop allowing what has been done to us to become bigger than what Jesus did for us. I'll read that again. We will never find freedom unless we stop allowing what has been done to us to become bigger than what Jesus did for us. In Romans 5, 20 to 21, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. I love that scripture. All sin can do is threaten us with death and that's the end of it. Grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us to life that goes on and on and on. God's going to keep pushing on these pressure points of ours. Yes, they make us vulnerable. It hurts. 
who knows when the physio pushes on a sore spot, it hurts. But you never get better unless you go through it. The pressure and releasing the tension will hurt. It will be uncomfortable and it will be vulnerable. But God called the Holy Spirit our comforter for a very good reason. Because he said, I'm going to push on these pressure points. It's going to hurt, but I've got someone to help you. You're not alone when I'm going to push on these. But I want to see you come through them. So here's the Holy Spirit. He never desired us to stay comfortable and safe. You know when your conscience is knocking? It's generally the Holy Spirit going, hey, God's talking to you. There's something in your life he wants to clean up. And he will keep knocking, unfortunately, (laughs) until we go, hey, God, I'm going to listen now. He brings the truth to our lies and the light to our darkness. The enemy just wants to condemn us and bring the constant shame, the constant fear and the very easy blame shift it is. Constantly. And if that becomes our normal, see our muscles have this memory in them that I... I only know because it happened to me. I got this sore neck on studying and it kept giving me headaches and I thought, oh dear, like what's going on? And the chiropractor was just like, your body has been so used to having your neck in this position, your muscles believe it's correct. And it takes constant. I had six weeks of chiropractor to retrain that one little muscle in my neck that could cause such a big headache, you know. But I went through it and man, you're kind of like, yeah, no more headaches, but... It is constant, but unless we choose to do it, we're going to live in that and our muscles are going to think it's correct, it's the normal, especially if it happened 20 years ago. Who thinks, like, I mean, I've seen it before, say, in my extended family, where something shameful's happened and it's never come into the light as far as our family knows, but they've separated themselves and are living in this shame, and we don't know who they are anymore. It changes them from the inside out, this shame, this darkness, because that's all they're living in. They never hear the truth. And we look at them and go, you know, as far as who he used to be and who he's become is quite a bitter, harsh person. And that's what it does. But... Every day choosing God's agenda above our own natural desires will accelerate the growth in our lives. God doesn't desire a close God desires a closeness with us like he had with Adam and Eve. It's easy to share vulnerable things with people that are close to us, a husband and wife, our best friends. But um, it's important to bring those walls down before God as well. Um, Being vulnerable isn't easy and I don't know if you remember when you were dating and sharing something with someone or for the first time that was shameful or even now you're married like constantly bearing your true self before somebody um, isn't easy. It never, never will be easy and it's easier to feel now I'll just, I'll just hide it. I won't tell them because that's where I'm comfortable. But the strength it brings, I find, 
allows others to be vulnerable when you yourself are vulnerable. It really is a strength, although you feel very weak. It's being yourself before God, before others that are close to us, that are safe to be (laughs) open with, so that we can become Christ-like. You know, too often we let pride get in the way and go, well, no, I'm not going to share that because what's that going to... How are they going to see me then? So we put our pride suit on and go, no, I'm good. I'm cool. Everything's sweet. But really, there's so much shame and darkness on the inside of us. We're so scared to be ourselves. And that's all because of what happened and what entered these insecurities when Adam and Eve sinned. See, we pick and choose what we want to listen to from God and we obey the good. We love to hear encouragement from our leaders or someone close to us. You look nice today, whatever it is. But when someone pushes on a pressure point, like a leader that's in your life to be accountable to, to help you grow, we kind of go, not not that one. (laughs) You know, we hide that chapter, we close our book. We quickly accept the blessings from God, but we pretend we don't feel him knocking on our conscience. We close our ears when he's talking on something he might want to work on. We control out of fear, and this (laughs) I see too often, and I know you might say, well, she's so young, she hasn't seen too much. I know I haven't, but... Control to me is something I see in a lot of relationships. Again, I've seen it in my family that we're we're living in fear. Our natural response is to control everything in our reach. It's a real big insecurity in so many people's lives. That (laughs) a big one that I see is wives. (laughs) Sorry to pick on you. It's myself included. I have to ask myself this all the time. That is... (laughs) (laughs) if say for example our husband isn't home at the time he said he would be what drives us so intently to go I've got to ring him I've got to ring him he said he'd be home what if you didn't if you've got to be out somewhere and he's not home then that's okay I'm not saying it's bad I'm just saying what is it what's your motive behind it that says I have to control it he said this I want to call him and I can't not because of this thing inside of me. (laughs) It's not just blaming women. I just, there's another big stereotypical thing in relationships in Australia that says we're under the thumb. The guys are under the thumb or vice versa. And I believe it's derived from fear. Fear of being out of control. But what if we just let it go? There's been countless times where I've just gone, no, I'll just see what happens. And I've been okay. I've been perfectly okay. And I feel free that I didn't have to do it to feel better. 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 <laughs> Let's see what happens when we're not in control. As far as I'm concerned, here's the world. Here's God's hand. So whatever you don't have control of or if you happen to just let go of control, God's still got it. He's not going anywhere. You know, he's got the whole world in his hands, song. Yeah. (laughs) Life will still go on if we replace fear and distrust 
with love and trust. I feel like, I'm going to use my family as another example, <laughs> um, and I hope they don't mind, but like my grandparents, um, Nana is quite a talkative one, and Papa has never been able to get a word in edgewise. <laughs> and I just feel like for so long we've watched her control every situation, be on, have her finger on the pulse, have him under the thumb, and as much as he loves her deep down, he does, he can't be himself. He can't show who he is because it's just been hidden for so long. It just, he just gets, keeps getting pushed down and pushed down because she's so fearful of him walking out that door or him turning around and going, hey, give me a chance. But it's just been 30-odd years that this is how it's going to be until they grow old and die. And that's not a life. Whereas if they found freedom way back here, both people in the partnership can flourish and, you know, there's freedom and there's trust and do you get what I'm saying? Like in the long-term control, we may not see what it's doing every day but down the track, like I see them and I just think, imagine if someone had, I don't know, I'm sure they've been told, but imagine if they'd just found this freedom and an assurance in herself to be, it's okay, he's not going to leave you. Just trust who he is, love who he is, and don't try and shape or change or control who he is. In James 5, oh, I did have that. God created you for you to be you. You know, he's created you as a certain person. There's no point living as someone else or not as you. In James 5, 16 to 17, it says, Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. God has called us for greater. Let's not settle for comfortable. Remember, vulnerability is strength. When you are vulnerable, it allows others to be vulnerable. This begins to reverse the effects that sin had when it entered because you're choosing God's light and truth over deceit and darkness. Let's go back to getting naked and unashamed of who God has, <laughs> spiritually, has <laughs> made us to be. It's not like a new culture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's about, you know, being unashamed, walking in the garden with God, happy, truthful and in his light so that we can be who God has made us to be. With that... I'm going to invite Jimmy to come and talk about who that is that God's made us to be. Good morning, church. Great to see you here this morning. Can I just encourage you that, you know, the first step to obviously God doing a work in your life is being here on a Sunday morning and just to take that first step and to come out and just to see you all here most Sundays is, it's obviously it's not for me, but I know God really enjoys seeing you guys here. And I just want to encourage you just to try and really make church a, a priority to be here on Sundays because, you know, God wants to do a work in your life. And, you know, sometimes we have to put our own agendas aside for him to do a work in that. So 
I just encourage you. It's great to see you here. I didn't have that on there, but I just had. It's great to see you here this morning because it is. Um, but well, yeah. Well, look, what an honour and privilege it is to be able to share with you, rather than instrument instrumentally based sharing with you, because obviously we view that as a ministry as well. But also sharing with you um, what God's placed in my heart and. Yeah, I look forward to sharing it with you, actually. I think it's something that God's definitely placed, and I pray that I can get it across in a way that you can all understand. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, just ask Josh. I uh, sometimes have to explain things a few times at work. Um, <laughs> so this morning's theme that I'm going to talk about is probably something that I probably didn't really take seriously until... I probably grew up a bit, I suppose, and that's probably only you know five years ago, probably. Uh, oh, I feel anyway. When I started to really had to make some bigger decisions in life, and you know, I wanted to make sure that I was my own self before, you know, I went into a business and before I got married. Obviously, I didn't want to be. Um, you know, I already wanted to have. Oh, I'm just gonna blow it out here. I'm already going to have my identity in Christ before I was going to take a business on and get married to my beautiful wife down there. So, you know, the biggest worries that I had in my life in high school were just when my next study lesson was, really. I never really took it serious. Sorry, Mum. But uh, it was something that I really only went for the social side towards the end of it. Um, Once I made my mind up that I was going to get a trade, it was just one big social social experiment so I didn't yeah I probably wasn't really foreseeing or looking to the future of who I really was I suppose and you know I think there's nothing more important in our work in our walk with God to know our identity through Christ because it's our foundation you know we go back to the beginning which is Genesis 1.27. So who God made us to be. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Pretty basic scripture. All right, even I get that. But again, we are We are God's workmanship. So how do I know that? Well, in Ephesians, it tells me again, for we are God's masterpiece. Did I say workmanship? Sorry, I was meant to say masterpiece, obviously. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. And notice how I've underlined, just a side note, good things. I encourage you, church, it doesn't matter what you're going through this morning. God's got good things in place for you. And keep believing for that because as soon as you lose hope of that, it's just going to be the long way, long way around. So just believe that there's good things to come. Um, so we're God's masterpiece. Believe it, yeah. Um, this is such an important foundation in our walk with God. Just to get these two foundational things right, even before we go out into the workplace, before we go out to whatever we may be doing, that we know that we were created in God's image and we are his masterpiece. So just be encouraged by that this morning that, you know, um, 
who you are is who God loves you to be. Who you are is who who God's created you to be. All right? Because it's important that we get this understanding and we consistently remind ourselves. So we don't just read this, walk away, yep, all right, I'll put that in the back of my mind. You know, we live in such a... Um, a visual world today. There's a lot of um, advertisement on our, you know, on everything in our pocket, on the TVs, on the back of the toilet door, everywhere. Someone wants to sell you something. Someone wants to tell you that you need some type of something to make yourself complete. But we are already complete. All right. So what the world is telling you is the wrong type of identity because we're only going to put our Hope in things that are only going to come to an end and we're going to have disappointment and hurt from it. Um, yeah, God makes us complete by his mercy and his grace. That equals us as a complete human being. What, what makes your identity? Is it... What you do, is it what you've achieved? Are you things you've done right or are you the things that you've done wrong? Are you what others think of you? If I put my identity in what I do, I'll always need to do more to then achieve more to then find my value. I'm going to say that again just for my own sake. If I put my identity in what I do, I'll always need to do more to achieve more to find my value. Or if I'm what others say, I'll always try to please people, not God. Now, if I just look at myself without God's glasses, I suppose, we'll just say that, then I'd probably feel selfish, I'd probably feel fearful, I'd probably have a lack of purpose, fear for the future. I'd put my hope in things of this world that will keep changing and as I said earlier, will only lead to disappointment, disappointment and hurt and we don't want that. See, I believe that how I identify myself determines how I will approach life. So if I know that I'm created in God's image and I am his masterpiece, then I'm going to look at life and go, you know what, life, whatever you've got to throw at me, bring it on because I know that God has made me whole and made me into an image of what he's, he has made. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and the new has begun. You see... If I look at myself in God's eyes, oh, this means, I don't know what that one is. Oh, that was a scripture. If I look at myself in God's eyes, then I'm forgiven, I'm loved, I have purpose, I have strength, I have vision, I'm a conqueror, I'm healed, I have hope, I have peace, and I'm called. Now, I've got scriptures for most of them, but I didn't want to, mess my PowerPoint up because I'm concessive compulsory or whatever it's called. And I've started putting it on there and it kind of fluffed it off a bit. So I more just wanted to really bring that across as, you know, this covers, 
This covers so much of who we are through our identity in God. You know, I'm loved, I have purpose, I have strength. Those three things just give us so much strength to be able to walk our everyday walk. And you know, no one's perfect. We all go through our little seasons where we're not proud of, as Beth said, those chapters that we don't want to read out loud. But I am a conqueror. I am healed. I have hope in those situations. Don't ever look down on your situation as far as... Don't ever make your situation bigger than what God is. It's how we view God as our identity in God to how we view our situation. Because if we view God as our big God, our creator, then our situation is going to be as small as an eye in a needle. We need to do this in his strength and that he has given us. In Matthew 19.26, Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is impossible. So whether you're in a season of hurt at the moment or whether you're in a season of joy, know that God has got you and know that God has placed a strength in you that only you can get through him to make things possible for your breakthrough and hang on to that don't let anything take that away from you you know i've i've uh, i've learned a lot about paul this last week um he's just an incredible apostle and you know he encourages us 160 times in the bible staying in christ and working through christ it's important that our everyday life is in Christ. It's in his eyes. It's in his identity of what he's placed in us. Because if we just look at ourselves of, of what we see, then it's going to be what those things I mentioned earlier. Fearful, and then we're going to put barriers up. We're going to... Josh, you stand up for a sec. Look at Josh. Come here. Yeah, that was my, that's my move, mate. So Josh has got a, he didn't know I was going to do this. Josh has got a t-shirt that says unoffendable. Now, I think that most of you would agree that God, that Josh, sorry Josh, you're not God. God's, oh, I said it again. Josh, his identity is solidly in Christ because he's unoffendable. Now, this is something that spoke to him. We don't all have to walk around with these T-shirts. You can if you want. Come see Josh if you want one. I'm sure he can hook you up. But Josh, something spoken to Josh. He wants to get a T-shirt made like this. This is Josh living out his identity in Christ. Because this T-shirt, as physically as it is a T-shirt, it's not bulletproof. But we know that what is on the outside is actually on the inside. And anything that might say to him, well, Josh, you're not good enough... Your hair doesn't even match your head. What are you going to like that for? <laughs> he, he, that was just an example. <laughs> that was just an example. He pulls it off. He's unoffendable because he's living out what God's placed in his life. You're right, Josh. You know, and I'm encouraged with that, and I'm honoured to have someone like Josh working for us in a business mindset because. <laughs> You have a lot of mixed bag of people coming in that, uh, that door and I'm sure most of you that work in the workplace, we, 
we see a mixed bag of people and sometimes we think, yes, Jesus loves them. <laughs> Give me the strength to not talk to them the way I'm thinking. <laughs> but uh, it's good. So how do we do this? I've got seven minutes to pump this out. Living it out. So in 1 John 2, 15 to 17, it says, Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, nothing has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world in all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out, but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. We don't need to chase the things in our flesh, but instead we seek to bring God glory in all areas of our life. This speaks to me more than any of you, so you can, you can have this scripture. This is my scripture. Because this talks to me more than anything. You know, I'm sure if you talk to my mum afterwards, I was definitely a wanting little kid. I wanted everything I saw, and if I couldn't have it, well, I'm sure I was a little monkey about it and probably carried on like a pork chop but you know how how awesome is it that this scripture that was written 2000 more than 2000 years ago is irrelevant for us today as i was saying earlier the things of this world will continue to try to sell us things to have a sense of completeness but really our completeness is already found in god now, I don't know about you, but I'm sick of getting phone calls about health insurance that they continually ring me telling me I need some type of health insurance. Now, I don't need health insurance. I've already got it. But it's just more a part of the world wanting to sell things, Telstra selling you things, Commander selling you things that Beth got sucked into, <laughs> which is our internet. So now we have real dodgy internet because it piggybacks off Telstra and when I'm anyway that's the world that's the world selling you something that you don't need you need internet but you don't need commander internet we, sorry commander I don't just in case someone from commander is listening to this okay number two we no longer fear the future for I know the plans I have for you says the Lord they are plans for good and not for disaster to you, to give you a future and a hope in these days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Let the wild hog eat. I'll explain that to you one day, church, but that's just a little in-house joke. So, we no longer fear the future. You know, the, I love most of that scripture, but at the end there where it says, in those days, you will pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. You know, sometimes we pray and we don't necessarily get an answer. You know, I've, um, I'm sure there's, I can't remember the stats, but unfortunately in today's world, mental, mental illness is definitely everywhere. And, you know, I had to see that in my own father. Um, which was quite hard over the last years that he's had it. But, you know, long story short, he suffered with it for a long time. He's no longer with us. But, um, 
he I used to pray for him every time I spoke to him on the phone because I consistently wanted to see a move of God in his life. You know, as young as young as I was when it was happening, I just obviously wanted him to snap out of it, but obviously the, the older I grew and the more mature I got, I understood that mental illness isn't a switch. So, you know, I tried to really pray to God that there would be that he would use me. He lived in Adelaide, so I didn't see him much. But he lived in Adelaide, and I prayed for him a lot over the course of the time that he was uh, suffering. And, you know, I'd pray and pray, and, you know, he'd ring me, and then I wouldn't really notice much of a difference. And, you know, I'd think, oh, God, like, just help me, help me bring, help me bring something to Dad that will really uh, soften his attitude to life. Because, obviously, for those of you who dealt with it or seen it, you know, the world's, the world's a conspiracy and everything's against everyone and or them. And, you know, it wasn't a very nice world to be in from the outside looking in. And, you know, I'd pray to God, pray that at least he'd see some type of light somewhere and just to do a work in his life and for him to heal Dad. Uh, as I said, unfortunately, he passed away. Uh, Beth and I had to go clean his house out. So we were going through. Dad was a bit of a hoarder. He had everything, name it, he had it. I don't know why, he just would walk down the side of the road and think, oh, I'm going to take that. Anyway, we were going through bags of junk and uh, siphoning through what, was, what we're going to keep, what we're going to not keep. And I come across a few um, welcome cards from Edge Church. And for those of you that aren't familiar with welcome cards, welcome cards are something that is on, that's sitting on a seat you know, as when you walk in, you can grab it. It says, you know, we want to connect with you. It's just a thing. Now, all those times I was praying, God, please help me be a light in his world and please help me um, be something for him or someone else for him. Seeing those three welcome slips told me that there would have been a stage in his life that he went to Edge Church and got some type of... Um, you know, went into that place. For him to go into that place, for me, was uh, just a little bit of sense of knowing that, you know, God was trying with him and my prayers were getting answered even though I wasn't seeing it. God was still doing a work in his life. So just be encouraged that it, sometimes we might pray, we might not see any results, but God is doing a work in that situation and just pray and believe that something's going to become of that. We know we have no need to judge or compare ourselves to others. Instead, we seek to please Christ. That is where our identity is found. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Now, as I said, we have a mixed bag of people coming into work. It is very hard for us sometimes to smile and wave at people. But, you know, I look at them... Josh and I have a bit of a laugh because sometimes it can be frustrating and when they leave, I'll start singing sarcastically the Yes, Jesus Loves Them, Yes, Jesus Loves Them song just to try to take the edge off of it a little bit. But it's just a reminder for me to view the situation differently because Jesus died for me in my issues and Jesus died for them in their issues. It's not... It's not about me doing the job for nothing, 
But it's more to have the patience and grace, just as Jesus did for me. In, in Matthew um, 5, 13 to 14, it says that we are the salt and the light of this earth. See, I think it's so important for us to get our identity and to know that wherever we go, that we are the salt and the light of this earth. That sometimes we may only be the only light that someone sees in their life. That, and I'm sure that you want to make sure that God is shining through you just as bright. You're not... You are not defined by your past or what people say you are. You are who God says you are. And that's a masterpiece. Plus so much more. Be confident in who you are through God. Created, called for a higher purpose than what you see sometimes. Know that you are established, anointed and sealed by God. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-2 Our sense of worth comes from knowing who we are as a child of God. Understanding your identity is essential for living the Christian life. So I just want to encourage you this morning, church, just as I finish, that you are God's masterpiece and we need to walk it out every day. Thanks.